0: All right, as Narayani said, we're about to face Sri Yukteswarji. We've left him, we've disobeyed him, we've looked for our salvation, our freedom elsewhere, away from the refuge of the Guru. So coming back, you know, it's not easy. And let's see how the Guru reacts to us having left the path. In in Yogananda's case, this is (laughs) a matter of a few days. In many of our cases, these can be incarnations. This very experience can be a very long time. Searching, looking, somewhere else I will find. And here we are again, back at his feet. This is page 142, chapter 14, An Experience in Cosmic Consciousness. I am here, Guruji. My shamefacedness spoke more eloquently for me. So our heads are hung low. (laughs) We've come up. and But yet, here we are. I am here, Guruji. Those are powerful words. Every time, even during the day, if you forget, (laughs) come back to those words. I am here, Guruji. Let us go to the kitchen and find something to eat. Sri Yukteswar's manner was as natural as if hours and not days had separated us. Master, I must have disappointed you by my abrupt departure from my duties here. I thought you might be angry with me. No, of course not. Wrath springs only from thwarted desires. I do not expect anything from others. So their actions cannot be in opposition to wishes of mine. I would not use you for my own ends. I am happy only in your own true happiness." Wow! eh? We weren't expecting this from Sri (laughs) Yukteswarji. I think we were probably expecting a little little
1: more (laughs) reprimand.
0: (laughs) Some discipline, some go now, you are on the kitchen duty from now on. But, you know, what the Guru gives us again is what we need most. And what's most important to understand about the Guru is that nothing, none of this, as much as he loves us, none of this is personal to him. There is no expectation, there is no, Oh my goodness, why aren't you doing what I'm asking you to do? And this is what we experience when Narayani and I first read the autobiography of a yogi and, and instantly realized that Paramahansa Yogananda was our guru. It was this experience right here, which is, Wow, I'm coming back to you after who knows how long of having wandered away. But in that moment of recognition, which is, I am here Guruji, was just this, Of course you are here, no moment has passed, and I have expected nothing from you, I have been with you, I have loved you, even throughout your wanderings. And these words are important, even for us, on how we want to express ourselves, our relationships, especially with others. Wrath, which is anger, springs only from thwarted desires. We read this also in the Gita where Krishna says from desire comes anger because he says whenever a desire is unfulfilled naturally anger is awakened and these two things and Krishna of course calls the, the two of them the two strongest forces anger and desire and they go hand in hand which is one which is a repelling force one which is an attractive force both of course to Maya as long as they two the two exist there'll always be some mm, disharmony in everything that we do. I do not expect anything from others. I love that he doesn't even say, I don't expect anything from From you. you. Mm. It's like, I just, you know, well, it's not even about you, Mukunda. I'm not even, the Guru's not even like, oh, it has, you are special, therefore. No, I just, I don't expect anything from others. And because there's no expectation, which means there's no desire, nobody's action can be in opposition to the wishes of mine. Isn't that just beautiful? Therefore, everything that anybody does is in perfect harmony, even with how I feel inside myself. And then of course, I would not use you for my own ends. And this is an important part in all our relationships to remember. We end up using people for our own ends. We end up using them for our own happiness you know whether again, whether it's expectation whether it's even us doing something for them is in a certain way indirectly using them this outward reality to somehow satisfy something inside me then of course i'm happy only in your own true happiness and that true is an important part
1: i was thinking also especially at the beginning when Yogananda comes to Sri Yukteswar and says I'm here and many I want to put this in the context of our spiritual practices mm. because we too put aside for a while our practices we may go through periods where we start very gango, but then we drop them and and we feel so ashamed that we have taken kriya, we have gone so far, and yet we are not able to wake up in the morning, we don't feel like meditating, uh, we only practice five of the energization exercises, <laughs> one of them is just, you know, tapping your head or something like that. And and then that shame, that sense of guilty continues to prevent us from making the effort and say, enough is enough. I'm going to start right here, right now. And the fear that many people think is that once I come back to my meditation, it's going to take me a long time to come back to that determined, constant, concentrated mind. But this is exactly what happens once we decide I'm going to start with my meditations. And when you sit in your meditation room, that act of sitting, it says, I'm here, God, I am back. And what God and Guru says, through your action, chalo, no problem, you have come, now I'm going to meditate for you, with you, and that's the real grace that is attracted really when we decide to come back and sit in our meditation space so don't get discouraged if if you feel that you are going through a period where it's hard to come back or you cannot practice your kriyas it it doesn't matter just show up sit there close your eyes uplift your gaze and say to the universe to god to the great ones i'm here i'm back and let the grace envelop you
0: sir one hears of divine love in a vague way but for the first time i am having a concrete example in your angelic self I love how Yogananda speaks to his guru so beautifully, beautiful. poetically, gracefully. There's, it's not, it's not the regular language he would use with somebody else. And you see this throughout the scriptures. You see even in the in the Gita how Arjuna uh, speaks to Krishna. Oh Madhusudhan, oh my Lord. I mean, there's just this beautiful um synergy a relationship that's different from all other relationships it'll be an, an a fun thing to include in your mm. conversations with the guru yes it's nice to have him as a friend but bring in a little bit of this refinement of how you address him and uh, see how the, that changes in the
1: bible also there yeah, is that relationship always that thou
0: my yeah, lord. lord i mean the way the way the disciple addresses his guru Not outwardly, not formally, not in the presence even of others. But just that's how, that's the relationship that he's developed. I love that angelic self. In the world, even a father does not easily forgive his son if he leaves his parents' business without warning. Which is a nice way to think about a disciple's role, which is to, you know, I'm in my guru's business of freedom. But you show not the slightest vexation, though you must have been put to great inconvenience by the many unfinished tasks I left behind. We looked into each other's eyes where tears were shining. A blissful wave engulfed me. I was conscious that the Lord in the form of my Guru was expanding the small orders of my heart into the incompressible reaches of cosmic love. And this is what Narayani was talking about in our meditations, because when we look at this book, we were assuming the guru-disciple relationship to be a very, as, as an outward relationship, a physical relationship, because here, you know, the guru is there, the disciple is there, the conversation's happening, but really all of this is what's meant to be happening within in our relationship with the Guru when as Narayani said we come We say we are here We look into the Guru's eyes truly look into the Guru's eyes because this is where his eyes are And immediately that work starts immediately the little tiny little heart the tiny little you know love that we call love starts to expand It's an instant process for the disciple a few mornings later, I made my way to Master's empty sitting room. I planned to meditate, but my laudable purpose was unshared by disobedient thoughts. They scattered like birds before the hunter. <laughs> we, we know that all too well, don't we? Mukunda! Sri Yukteswar's voice sounded from a distant inner balcony. I felt as rebellious as my thoughts. Master always urges me to meditate. I muttered to myself. He should not disturb me when he knows why I came in his room. (laughs) Such arrogance. Yeah,
1: dialogue in his mind. (laughs) Grumpy. (laughs) I love it.
0: He summoned me again. I remained obstinately silent. Uh, I'm meditating, you know, just I have to show that. The third time, his tone held rebuke. Sir, I am meditating, I shouted protestingly. I know how you are meditating, my guru called out, with your mind distributed like leaves in a storm. Come here to me. And of course, the guru, nothing could be hidden from him. But again, just that's it's there's this sweetness and this naturalness to this process. Just even seeing the difficulty that Yogananda had in his meditation, you know, whom we consider our guru, who we consider our Lord in form. It's just part of that solace and encouragement to each of us. Yeah, of course. This is just this is it. When we were reading the Gita on Thursday. This is what Arjuna was asking Krishna, if you were there or if you remember. You know, it's like, I'm unable to control my mind. Everything that you've told me about meditation, I'm unable to have any success in this, so what do I do? And Krishna beautifully just says, it will happen if you strive earnestly. And that's the process. We talked a lot about the need of, as a disciple, as a devotee, to strive earnestly, sincerely, to be at it. And this is what it looks like. It doesn't look all beautiful and rosy. It looks like, here I am. My mind is scattered. Birds in front of a hunter. Leaves scattered in a storm. But here I am. And then, what does the Guru say and do?
1: Maybe you can go ahead no? on
0: that. What you were you going to say?
1: Yeah, I really like these, uh, like a um, hint of what we can do when our mind is like leaves in the storm our thoughts Mm. his answer is come here to me and I think that's something that we forget to practice in our meditation because when the mind is restless we tend even to make it more restless by thinking other things but what about if the moment we Get ourselves when we perceive or where mind is all over the place. Just boom, visualize the image of your guru, and telling you, come here, right now. If that's the only thing you can do, which is visualizing my face, I'll take care of it. But come here. And i think this can be a very good practice a reminder to do more often because the guru has the power to instantly as we will see now to stop everything and bring you into that stillness that we are desperately looking for especially in meditation but but i mm, liked this at this very moment like in the middle of the ca- chaos in the middle of that restlessness the only thing that Sri Yukteswar says is don't do hung somewhere deeply hold <laughs> your breath do this with that he simply said come here so maybe something that we want to experiment from now on in our meditations
0: snubbed and exposed I made my way sadly to his side. Poor boy, the mountains couldn't give you what you wanted. Master spoke caressively, comfortingly. His calm gaze was unfathomable. Your heart's desire shall be fulfilled. And he struck gently on my chest above the heart my body became immovably rooted breath was drawn out of my lungs as if by some huge magnet soul and mind instantly lost their physical bondage and streamed out like a fluid piercing light from my every pore now i want this is where we are going with this yeah. is Not to be heard or just to be listened to, but to be at least attempted to be experienced simultaneously. What our Guru is going to explain is going to be the scene he experienced where he was. But if there's any way you can superimpose to wherever you are, if you're in your room right now, if you're in the living room, wherever you're sitting, whatever we'll talk about now, try to kind of integrate that into your own individual experience and environment and surrounding. So let's already, let's just go back to this. Body, immovably rooted. So let's just get really still. The breath was drawn out of my lungs as if by some huge magnet. Let's enter to the best of our ability into that breathless state. Whether or not the breath exists doesn't matter. Soul and mind instantly lost their physical bondage and streamed out like a fluid, piercing light from my every pore. This idea that the mind and the soul is somehow limited to this body is immediately broken and it just from every pore of your being, it's just streaming outward. Where is the soul? Where is the mind? it has no limit it has no singular location it's just flowing out of us visualize that light seeping out from every pore the flesh was as though dead yet in my intense awareness i knew that never before had i been fully alive the flesh as in the form the physical body we've been calling ourselves, has become completely inert. But the sense of self has become so intense, so awakened, that we've never felt more alive. My sense of identity was no longer narrowly confined to a body, but embraced the circumambient atoms. The circumambient atoms are every particle of creation all around you and then those that are around the others and the others and in concentric circles it goes outward feel your sense of self going out layer by layer into these circumambient atoms of creation people on distant streets seemed to be moving gently over my own remote periphery. Wherever you are, what's the distant street? What are the streets around you? Try to in your awareness. To feel that all the people on the streets outside are as if just on the periphery of your own being. You can feel them, you can see them, you can experience them. The roots of plants and trees appeared through a dim transparency of the soil. I discerned the inward flow of their sap. Again, plants at home, the trees on the streets, everything around you. Not only do you connect with them, but you see them. In this transparent, translucent, you can see the roots below the soil. You can see the movement of the sap flowing through the capillaries, throughout the plants. The whole vicinity lay bare before me. My ordinary frontal vision was now changed to a vast spherical sight. Simultaneously all perceptive. A 360-degree sense of vision, where nothing is beyond our ability to be perceived. Things behind you, the wall, the couch, the chair, whatever it is. Try to visualize that you can see past that, through that, into all the things around you. Through the back of my head, I saw men strolling far down Rai Lane. Raighat road and noticed also a white cow who was leisurely approaching try to just for a fun visualize and see if you can even tune into anybody perhaps somebody in your house through the walls your child in another room your spouse somewhere your parents try to just feel them perceive them almost like an x-ray vision see them through the walls when the cow reached the space in front of the open ashram gate i observed her with my two physical eyes as she passed by behind the brick wall i saw her clearly still how beautiful The physical eye, the inner eye, becomes one. All objects within my panoramic gaze trembled and vibrated like quick motion pictures. My body, masters, the pillared courtyard, the furniture and the floor, the trees and sunshine occasionally became violently agitated until all melted into a luminescent sea, even as sugar crystals thrown into a glass of water, dissolve after being shaken. The unifying light alternated with materializations of form, the metamorphosis revealing the law of cause and effect in creation. Again, let's just pause in our mind's eye, in our inner eye, or even with open eyes. Everything around us kind of going in and out of materialization, in and out of manifestation. Sometimes form, sometimes light. And then light becomes form. And then forms are becoming united into one kind of united ocean of light, just surrounding us, where there is no form. And this process is just taking place rapidly shifting and neither is necessarily true and this is beautiful the law of cause and effect in creation all karma all this creates this this has caused this this is the effect of that all of that starting to play all around you an oceanic joy broke upon calm endless shores of my soul the spirit of god I realized, is exhaustless bliss. His body is countless tissues of light. This oceanic joy that we otherwise think is going to be this excitable, enthusiastic joy is actually a joy that's preceded by this calm, endless shores of my soul. God is exhaustless bliss and his body is light. My swelling a swelling glory within me began to envelop towns, continents, the earth, solar and stellar systems, tenuous nebulae and floating universes. The entire cosmos Gently luminous, like a city seen afar at night, Glimmered within the infinitude of my being. The sharply etched global outlines Faded somewhat at the farthest edges. There I could see a mellow radiance Ever undiminished. It was indescribably subtle, The planetary pictures were formed of a grosser light. Everything is different subtle layers, levels of grossness of light. Form all the way to God Himself. And everything starts to reveal layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of creation. Expand yourself. See as far out into the universe as you are in this moment capable. The divine dispersion of rays poured from an eternal source. And all of this is coming from somewhere. From this one source of eternity. Blazing into galaxies transfigured with ineffable auras. Again and again... I saw the creative beams condense into constellations and then resolve into sheets of transparent flame. By rhythmic reversion, sextilian worlds passed into diaphanous lustre. Fire became firmament. firmament. describing the very process of creation itself from that eternal source outward rays of light turning into nebula into gaseous into fire into physical form the elemental process down even the chakras as we and our soul comes into manifestation so to the entire universe has followed that same process. I cognized the center of the Imperium as a point of intuitive perception in my heart. The Imperium is the highest level of heaven, which of course is the highest source from where this universe is being manifested. And where is this eternal source? Yogananda says, I cognized the center of this source, this imperium, as a point of intuitive perception in my heart. This eternal source is not elsewhere, not from somewhere is the universe being created. It is within you. The very center of your being is that source of all creation irradiating splendour issued from my nucleus to every part of the universal structure blissful amrit the nectar of immortality pulsed through me with a quicksilver-like fluidity the creative voice of god i heard resounding as om the vibration of the cosmic motor Oh, that moment. Suddenly, the breath returned to my lungs. With a disappointment almost unbearable, I realised that my infinite immensity was lost. Once more, I was limited to the humiliating cage of a body. I had run away from my macrocosmic home and imprisoned myself in a narrow microcosm. Even just, you know, imagining, just making this stuff up is such a powerful experience. I mean, We'd highly recommend coming back to reading this and just running this visualization through you just again and again. Even to give us a glimpse of what awaits us, what potential we're all just waiting to experience. Waiting for that tap from within, from our own Guru who says, you're ready.
1: I want to really pause for a moment each one of us and perhaps you know for two seconds inwardly just offer a prayer of gratitude i mean i'm sure and there might be must be other saints and self-realized masters who have spoken about this experience but the fact that Yogananda dedicated a whole chapter about the experience that each one of us can achieve in super consciousness what the super consciousness is all about what that experience of unity with the divine what what the, the divine romance is all about and he, he went in depth as we can see the words he used to make sure that we can have a better understanding in our own, you know, at the level we are right now, I mean how he had to bring down that intuitive perception that didn't come from his guru's words from a book text it came from a personal experience and how he brought that experience into a much more material understanding through words for whom for you for me for those who will come behind and, uh, and I think it deserves that, that sense of gratitude for now being able to be part of this process and because it's really making an impact in our consciousness and each word is so beautifully chosen, described, poetically beautiful, uplifted yeah. wow. Home.
0: My guru was standing motionless before me. I started to drop at his holy feet in gratitude for the experience in cosmic consciousness, which I had long passionately sought. He held me upright and spoke calmly, unpretentiously. Love that word. You must not get over drunk with ecstasy, much work yet remains for you in the world. Come, let us sweep the balcony floor, and then we shall walk by the Ganges. (laughs) You'd think in this moment the Guru would in a sense, be just like, mm, you know, how wonderful you had the experience. How was it? Did you? It's none of that. I love that word, unpretentiously. It's, it's, It's nothing for the Guru. This experience, for them to give it to us, it's really nothing. There's so much more that awaits us. But more importantly, there's so much more we have to do. And the, the huge, you can say, opposite difference from the cosmic consciousness that Yogananda just experienced to w- where has Sri Yukteswar brought it down to? Sweeping the balcony. Probably what some of us might consider, you know, the lowest form of activity. Often, you know, far beneath us. And that's what it takes. To experience God not just here not just in the clouds it takes to understand that even in the simplistic activity in fact in the simple activities God can be experienced and must be experienced because in our daily lives if we can't bring this experience and live it in the way we do things in the way we speak in the way we behave and interact all of this again just all of this is for most of us it's just fairy tales you know we might as well pick up a book on cinderella or something and you know just pass our time this is this is what it means come back and then there's much work to be done don't get easily swayed or carried away by these experiences which Sri Yukteswar is not even really giving it any real weight. Isn't that just amazing?
1: I really appreciate the activity that Sri Yukteswar chose (laughs) to bring him down into this world, which was sweeping the balcony. For me, it's very symbolic of once we are here, we can be here. That's not the issue. The problem is to make sure that while we are here, we are fully grounded. So to bring you into an activity that that brings your awareness to this world to something related to the ground, to the floor, uh, made me realize that's the the key ingredient. The problem really, it's not that you um, have to be afraid. Or, or developing a spiritual ego if you have that experience. That's not the problem, but how are you going to go about? How are you going to go about with that experience? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to, to become an example and, and make sure that that experience doesn't remove you from your daily activities, from your dharma, from the simple acts like cleaning or anything else or do you want to be now aloof because you have received that experience? So um, very, very, very grateful for this little paragraph.
0: I fetched a broom, master I knew was teaching me the secret of balanced living. The soul must stretch over the cosmogonic abysses while the body performs its daily duties this is our consciousness has no limits and then we need to be pushing it cosmogonic abysses uh, cosmogo, cosmogony if that's how i'm pronouncing it correctly is like is the study of the uh, source or the creation of the universe you know and those abysses those places where the mind can't go, that's where the soul needs to kind of stretch, that's where the consciousness needs to go, while the body is very much aware of exactly what's needed. This is that perfect balance that uh, Lahiri Mahashaya, as we will come to later on, was constantly eg- exemplifying, you know, having, having to leave Babaji in the mountains and come back to show for how to live in this world, there's this Zen saying uh, that says, before enlightenment, you know, uh, the whatever the yogi, let's say in this particular case, chopped wood, built a fire, and cooked food. And after enlightenment, the yogi chopped wood, built a fire, and cooked wood and cooked food. And uh, that's the you know, there's nothing changes outwardly. We we somehow think perhaps now I have to sit this way or something all the time. But it's just consciousness. The consciousness changes, but the way we relate to the, wo- relate to the world doesn't necessarily have to change. Of course, unless God asks of us something in particular, as he has of many different saints. When we set out later for a stroll, I was still entranced in unspeakable rapture. I saw our bodies as two astral pictures moving over a road. By the river whose essence was sheer light it is the spirit of god that actively sustains every form and force in the universe yet he is transcendental and aloof in the blissful uncreated void beyond the worlds of vibratory phenomena master explained Saints who realize their divinity even while in the flesh know a similar twofold existence. Conscientiously engaging in earthly work, they yet remain immersed in an inward beatitude. The Lord has created all men from the limitless joy of His being. Though they are painfully cramped by the body, God nevertheless expects that souls made in his image shall ultimately rise above all sense identifications and reunite with him again just emphasizing that duality even on the spiritual path and this is the om tat sat isn't it the sat is god in that aloof but you know potential just completely detached from creation in that Sat Chitananda, in that infinite bliss. And then there is Tat, which is the, you know, cosmic consciousness, which is the Kuthasta Chaitanya, which is the individualized expression of that bliss manifesting in the world. And we've got to learn both sides of the coin. Our meditations are about uniting us with that Sat and our daily lives are bringing that meditative experience of sat into tat. And so this has to happen all the time. Don't ever use spirituality as an excuse to remove yourself from, not necessarily the world or, you know, because it's not, sometimes you do need to, but remove yourself from your own dharma, your own responsibilities. Don't use spirituality as an excuse that somewhere, you know, somewhere else lies a greater responsibility for you.
1: When Sri Yukteswar is describing here each saint awareness and state of mm, realization, he says very clearly, they consciously engaging in earthly work they yet remain in immersed in word beatitude i think we can leave it here because that word consciously it's something that they are joyfully choosing to do and they do it joyfully with concentration with willpower with high energy with detachment yet they are consciously involved in that task ahead of them because they know that task is there given by God. And I think that's the distinction that we need to start becoming aware of. Everything that we have to deal with, our families, our job, our duties, might as well do them consciously, give our very best. So at the end of the day, that's where true freedom comes from, where you have done a work, what has been asked of you in the best way you could. I mean, there is no greater satisfaction than knowing that I have given my best. If you are able to perform your activities with this attitude, imagine how could you perform your sadhana, your practices, because it's going to be required, the same attitudes. So in a sense, once we perform our activities consciously, we are developing certain spiritual skills that will be needed in our practices and then ultimately one once that time comes in your life that you will feel ready to move forward and to dedicate your life more fully and completely perhaps to the spiritual path then you will have already with you those tools, those attitudes, those skills that will be required for deeper uh, spiritual progress. So consciously, if, if you find yourself performing an activity absent-mindedly, um, consciously, it's, it's the key, it's the secret, I feel.
0: True. <laughs> it's amazing to think about how much better saints are at, yeah, at absolutely anything. <laughs> I mean, we think of, at least for us, the most, you know, immediate example of Swamiji. Swamiji. I mean, you think of somebody, you know, he's really good, see, whether it's an Einstein, whether it's a Steve Jobs, they're good at one thing, you know, if there's an author, he's good at, he's an author, he's very good as an, as an author. If there's a computer programmer, he's a very good computer programmer, but the saints are just good at everything. I mean, the fact that Swamiji could write 150 books, okay, he's an author, fine, if that's all he could do. In addition, compose 400 pieces of music, okay, he's a musician, if that's all he could do. In addition, create communities worldwide. In addition...
1: Build. Uh, building you
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, get into construction, figure out how, you know, a, a little village is managed and built and what are the aspects that are required for it. Creative In addition, businesses, yeah. starting businesses, because... You have to be materially um self-sustaining then looking at individuals needs who looks into individuals needs i mean steve jobs didn't care about individual needs no author is looking around to people for their individual needs they'll just be like read my book i've written everything that's in there looking i mean how could they possibly do so much the only way they can do so much is because of the fact that they're just deeply connected to that source of bliss That's the only way we'll be able to do what we do. However, they used everything that they did as a means to strengthen that connection as well. So we can go both ways through our meditations, through our lives, strengthening both sides until they become just equally um, on, on equal footing in creating our relationship with God. But it's helpful to contemplate the lives of saints just from even this outward perspective. How could they do so much? Where nobody else in the world can do so much. Nobody. You know, we find the richest guy, you find whoever. Yeah, they are all involved in many things and they can do a lot because of the material means, you know, that's available to them. But nobody can do what saints do. So. Contemplate on the fact that we have very little to do, <laughs> and if we can't do that well, yeah, um, that's what's yeah it's a little bit, <laughs> it can get a little, you know,
1: disappointing. I, yeah, I, I love one of Swamiji's book's titles that he chose, which is Do It Well and Do It Now. I, I feel this is the mantra mm. almost of this Dwapara Yuga energy if we learn whatever we are doing it doesn't matter really but if we learn how to do it well and do it as quickly as it comes to us I think we are already on a very fast track
0: (laughs) so let's maybe try that that can be a simpler (laughs) we can't tell you why don't you go try cosmic consciousness but we can tell you to try Mm -hmm. this do Do it it. now and do it it with and see how that
1: serves each of us